traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I have back on the show Charlie Allovacetti. He's a partner at Vicente Cedarberg and chair of the firm's corporate department. He's recognized by Chambers and Partners as one of the top cannabis lawyers in the U.S. and is co-author of The Business of Cannabis, Understanding Law, Finance, and Governance in America's Newest Industry. Prior to joining Vicente Cedarberg, he worked as an associate in the New York offices of Latham and Watkins and Goodwin, where he represented public companies and private equity sponsors and their portfolio companies in a range of corporate transactions. He's admitted to practice in Colorado, Massachusetts, and New York. Welcome back to the show, Charlie. Oh, thanks for having me. Excellent. So it has been a while, but uh, let's cover some basics here about you. Uh, In addition to what I shared, what is more of your professional background and experience and what led you to get involved in this wild and wacky cannabis industry? Yeah. So, you know, I was a traditional kind of corporate lawyer doing mostly M&A. You know, at the time I got interested in cannabis, I was in the the private equity group, Goodwin in New York. So it was mostly private equity fund backed M&A, you know, didn't really have an industry focus. I mean, you know, I was junior at the time, so I was sort of doing whatever whatever I was told to do. But, you know, I didn't really like sort of jumping between industries and really not having any idea about, you know, what what the underlying logic of the deals were. So, you know, I started looking around in 2013 to think about like, well, what what industry, right? You know, I, I'm a lawyer, but you know, what industry am I interested in? What industry would I like to work with? And uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I narrowed it down to three areas where I thought that there was going to be, you know, growth in the future because I wanted to get in on the ground floor or something. One was privacy law, which I guess would have been might have might have might have worked out. Two was probably beyond the subject here, but just fracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was going to be a huge growth area at the time. You know, people were talking about legalizing it in New York State, which which hasn't happened. But um, so that would have been pretty disastrous. And then cannabis, you know, which at the time you know had started picking up steam. So I, you know, I. Did some research, started attending some meetings in New York. You know, I was um, joined uh, the New York City Bar Association Drugs and the Law Committee. 
Uh, so I tried to tried to dip my toes into it. And then I started kind of like setting the stage with my parents to try and <clears throat> prepare them for what I was going to do. <laughs> yes, I get that. How did they uh, handle the 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 transition into cannabis and and were they nervous for you I I hear that a lot no I mean well the other big part of it was it involved moving from New York where I had lived for ten years and you know where my my family's kind of from to mm-hmm. to Denver so that was a big big piece of it as well as I just remember I met my dad at uh, at the Wolfgang's Bar so we I used to work in the New York Times building just right across the street from Port Authority and there's a there's a steakhouse on the first floor which is great and. Yeah, I took my dad to the steakhouse and I was explaining my game plan to him. And I, I had to print out a map of the U.S. showing all the states that had legalized. I was like, this, this is my game plan. So, yeah, no, I mean, he, he was he was he thought it was he thought it was interesting. But, you know, I mean, they're glad now I actually moved. I live now like three blocks away from my parents. So it's it's come full circle. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. And you lived here in Denver for some time. I I definitely remember running into you at our industry socials and caucuses and so on with the with with the Vicente Cedarberg crew as well. Speaking of Vicente Cedarberg law firm, um, which is very well known, especially here in Colorado, uh, for helping to pass Regulation 64, what is the latest and greatest happenings at at Vicente Cedarberg? The bit the you know, I guess the big change at the firm is then um you know, Christian Cedarberg is sort of stepping away to focus on policy work. So, gotcha, yeah. yeah, so he's kind of stepping down from an active role at the firm to, you know, because we've got VS Strategies. Yes. Um, which is sort of like our, I you know, I guess sister company or affiliate company, whatever you want to call it, um, that does, it's much, much more focused on policy work. So he's, which, you know, it's Jordan Wellington over there. Those guys do a great job. Um so he's focusing more on that. Um, we just made five new partners, you know, got five new partners. And then, you know, the kind of the, we've kind of moved to this like kind of lifestyle of, a, of being, of working from home and yeah, the balance of the firm, you know, with the change of the markets, you know, we'll talk about New York and why it may not be as big as I hope, but you know, it's it's a bit of a shift culturally, right? Like as you get cannabis moving east, you know, Denver is, I you know, where we were founded, but now like we have to think of ourselves more of a national firm. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a big change is sort of like figuring out you know all these different markets and how to how to help people in all these different markets. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and you know. I remember Vicente Cedarberg's quote unquote marijuana mansion off of uh, Grant Street, which is now a marijuana museum. Have you uh, been to the museum? I have not. I haven't not been in there. Um, it's not not a priority on my on my list. <laughs> you, but uh, if I happen to stumble in there one of these days, I'll I'll, I'll let you know what it's like. <laughs> I guess I'm just, you know, now it's like, uh, you know, I'm curious because I was, you know, I worked there, you know, for almost two years, I think, before we moved to the the current address. Yeah, I'm yeah. Curious the nost- what they did with my old office. Sure. Yes. The nostalgia of having worked in that building myself <laughs> also, like when NCIA was 
very, yeah, very awesome. small. We were up in the attic <laughs> and then, and then we were in the, the cottage cannabis cottage, as we called it right behind the building as well. So I've got some nostalgia personally speaking as well. Absolutely. I'll check that out. I'll put it higher up on the to-do list and, and see what's going on in there. So it's been a while since you were on the show. And I know last, last time you were, you had just published a book, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's called The Cannabis Business, Understanding Law, Finance, and Governance in America's Newest Industry. And all the author profits are going to the last prisoner project. So let's, I want to check in and hear what's going on with your book. So we published it and I guess, you know, we, I think we've, we've done pretty well. You know, I, I wish I wish I had more profits to donate, but it's it's uh, it's tough to make money in the in the publishing world these days, yes. particularly if you're writing a, you know, a textbook about law mm-hmm. which, uh, is not, you know, the I, I guess like one of the, the top sellers <laughs> in terms of what books are. I thought I was reading something that said there were like 28 books, you know, maybe last year, the two years before there are 28 books in a given year that sell over over half a million copies only 28 books that do that yeah um we were we were sadly that we were not one of them we do we do have a five-star rating on amazon so it was was a good experience um right going through the whole experience of writing it publishing it promoting it it's um it's a lot certainly yeah we need to get uh some college class to make that required reading for you or something that might that might help <laughs> oh that's what i was looking up oh yeah and colleen hoover apparently sold eight uh, it wrote eight of the top 28 books oh who's she she's oh so doing, she she's she doing writes, great yeah she writes like dramatic personal romance stories. novels there's a romance it's not like a romance there's romance in it but it's not like a, a traditional romance novel you know, this one I was looking at the perfect blend of sexiness, emotion, and intrigue. It's Colleen's best, most exciting book to date. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right. Uh, if like I ever make a plan. if I ever make a career change, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get into writing whatever yeah, she's have writing. Her, have her on the podcast. She can tell you how to write a bestseller. Love that. Love that. <laughs> okay, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and uh, talk about cannabis and finance and law and governance. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with NCIA. I'm talking with Charlie Alovazetti from Vicente Cedarburg. And we're talking here about some nitty-gritty cannabis financing stuff, which is already pretty tough for our industry. Our, our licensed operators are dealing with lots of burdens and complexities and um, jump ropes to jump over. And it is particularly tough for social equity financing for those seeking to obtain an equity license, jumping through hoops, lots of challenges. Let's talk more about those challenges that social equity license operators are, are dealing with. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we, we wrap, a bunch of social equity licensees and uh you know raising money in cannabis is tough these days i mean you know a few years ago is a lot easier but you know raising money in general is is pretty difficult right you're you're trying to convince someone to to you know to to give you their money um to try and turn into something else so they're they're taking a big risk um so the, the, I think the primary challenge with social equity financing, it, you know, and this is from the perspective of someone who who wins one of these licenses, is that depending on the state, there are restrictions on how much of your company you can sell. So usually you have to maintain 51% of the company. So, you know, that means you can only sell 49% of it, which usually isn't an issue, but you got to keep in mind that if you have to maintain 51% and you you know you raise an initial round of capital you sell 20% of the company let's say the next time that comes around where you have to to raise capital the dilution is got to come completely out of that first round of investors because you can't dip below 51% without putting the license at risk so that that sometimes mm. investors like have trouble with because then they're like, well, that means like if you raise more money in the future, you get to keep fifty one percent, but I I get sort of doubly diluted. So that that can be a challenge, and then mm. that's compounded by the other issues, which is you know generally speaking, like these states, like a Massachusetts, will basically say the social equity licensee has to you know control things, right? Yes. So which you know. I totally understand why the rules say that. Um, 
But you got to think about like, well, the investors will often want to protect their investment, and have certain blocking rights. Yeah. Um. So, you know, now you have to balance the investors sort of demands or expectations with respect to uh, their blocking rights against the state regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and, a misalignment there. That makes. Ugh. Yeah. So you're you're trying to like balance two needs, right? Yeah. The need to you know keep the license in good standing, and and then the need to keep your your investors happy because if if neither works, then the deal blows up. Mm-hmm. And you also you know obviously you, sometimes you have to kind of do whatever do you do to get get it off the ground, but you have to think about down the line. It can be challenging. Um, it can be it can be challenging down the line in the sense that, like I just mentioned, like the first round of financing might create issues, might not create any issues, but then like the next round of financing could create an issue. Mm-hmm. Got it. That is just something to be aware of. The other big challenge I, I find with with social equity licensing is a lot of times social equity licensees we talk to. You know, they're like, well, I, they were like, they'll say, you know, I want, I want my community to have an opportunity to invest in this business yeah. uh, so they, they can make money that, but that you, now you start running up against federal securities laws. So federal securities laws can make it difficult to raise money from unaccredited investors. So being an accredited investor is is certain a certain financial level. They've also expanded the definition now to pick up certain people that are just considered kind of sophisticated in the world of deals. So people that are accountants or lawyers um, can qualify okay. sometimes to be accredited investors. Uh, it's not a super high standard, um, but I mean, it, you know, still the, the average person is likely not to qualify um, as as an accredited investor. Gotcha. Uh, so, like for example, like um, you you would either have a net worth over a million, excluding your primary residence, or okay. have income over two hundred k individually or three hundred k as a joint filer in each of the prior two years, and that's going to continue. Okay. Or you know the the investment cri- professional criteria I talked about, which is like you know you're you've you've done a series seven, which is okay. the stock work. So. If, if yeah, not very common for social equity licensees to, you know, be able to a, a achieve that financial. Yeah. So if level. you want to have like, say a hundred people chip into your company and then none of them are accredited, um, it creates a lot of securities law issues because it's not to say that you can't do it, but that all the ways of doing it create complexity and, and complexity you know, increases legal costs, it increases regulatory risk and all that stuff. So that's also something to think about. And I mean, I've had this discussion with people and I think there are two ways of looking about it. One is that, you know, hey, you're you're basically excluding this group of people from the opportunity to make money in the cannabis industry. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, my, 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 my counterpoint to that is just, you know, you're also preventing them from losing a lot of money in a speculative investment. Cause I think the, the way the regulators would look at it is, you know, if you're not accredited, what would happen if you lost a $50,000 investment or $25,000 investment? I mean, if you're accredited, hopefully that's not a big deal to you, but if you're unaccredited, I mean, $25,000 is a lot of money. Sure. 
Uh, and, you know, to someone who doesn't have a lot of money, that can be uh, devastating. You know, devastating. Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone who loses a devastating amount of money is more likely to, you know, call the regulators to sue you, to be really upset, to have, mm-hmm. to have it, you know, like to like lose housing or not be able to send their kid to school. So, you know, it's like all these horrible things. So, it, you know, it, it does cut both ways. So th- that's another challenge I find. And, you know, you see things like you hear a lot of talk about fundraise or crowd raising, crowd fundraising. Yes. Yeah, sure. Go fund me. Um, yeah. So there's GoFundMe, which is, um, which Kinda is casual. Yeah, it's not not really an equity investment. I mean, that's that's basically just just charity. Yeah, you don't own any equity. But there's also something which was this was also created by the Jobs Act, which was passed under uh, Obama, which basically says you can set up these portals online that allow you to raise money. Um, you know, and you can take in sort of small amounts of money from people. And so there are a bunch of these websites out there that you can you can look up and they'll help you set, they'll get you set up, but they take a pretty big cut oh. of the money you raise. And then you have to file a, a document, um, a reg CF with the SEC, which that takes a lot of time and it's it's expensive from a legal perspective. Oh. Um, so you know, I I I caution people to think about that because uh, sorry, that's a reg CF offering. And you're so, you know, we've prepared these offerings for Reg CF, but it's like, it, I mean, it's a substantial document. It's not the kind of thing that you can sort of, um, it's a form C, by the way, for those that care, but uh, it's not not the easiest thing in the world to 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 like throw together. Okay. And then if it's an ongoing business, you know, you also sometimes have like accounting requirements in terms of your financials. So th- there's, there's not a... Uh, there's not a uh, perfect solution, you know. There, there's a bunch. There's there's pros and cons to different approaches. Yeah, sounds like something that you can't exactly get taken care of at H and R Block. So, <laughs> no, no, no. So it's like, and it's all all this stuff costs money, right? Yeah. So. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Thanks for going through some of those um, challenges and opportunities uh, that social equity operators or license applicants are facing. Um, And let's go ahead and take our second commercial break and then uh, pivot to talking about what's going on in the Northeast area of the country, which is where you're currently at. So let's go ahead and take that commercial break and then we'll be right back. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. And before I ask our guest, Charlie Alavacetti from Vicente Cedarburg, the next question, I want to let all of our listeners know that we are currently on tour, going to 11, 12, something like that, cities across the country. Uh, We are hosting our evening networking receptions called Industry Socials. Uh, They're awesome opportunities to meet other NCIA members, network uh, with those that are in the cannabis industry, and uh, meet NCIA staff who can tell you more about what's going on at the organization. Um, So be sure to head to our website, thecannabisindustry.org, and check out our event schedule. Definitely register 
Um, if you're an active NCIA member, there are complimentary tickets available for you to claim. Seedling members get two, blooming members get three, and our evergreen members get five. I think that's right. Yeah. So don't leave those tickets on the table. Be sure to join us uh, at all these events across the country. The next one, as of this episode airing, will be on February 22nd in St. Louis, Missouri. And then we're headed to Seattle, Washington, Boston, Miami, Portland, Oregon, New York, New York, Chicago, and Detroit. So absolutely check out our events page and plan to register and join us. And uh, speaking of New York and Massachusetts, so there's there's you're you're based up up in that area now. Uh, all those states up in that area are probably the newer states that are legalizing, with the exception of a couple others in the Midwest. But these states are <laughs> the colonial states, right? They're much smaller and closer together, and you can drive through like eight different states in in an afternoon, basically. So Massachusetts is maturing a little bit because it's been a couple of years since they legalized cannabis. But uh, what's the latest and greatest uh, legalization news um, up in the northeast part of the country? Yeah, so um, I'll go go through it real quick. And then I I guess I'm going to focus in on on New York so we can get into kind of the details of one state because, you know, you could talk a whole hour talking about any one of these states. But so you've now got you know, in the Northeast, there are a bunch of states that have legalized adult use, but there haven't been adult use sales. I mean, it's a little bit further behind than that. They're, they haven't really issued adult use licenses yet. So like you've got your Virginias and your Maryland's um, where it's passed. Though I, I don't know the latest Amer- uh, Virginia off the top of my head. I, I think that the Republican legislature has, has, has slowed things down a bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, you got so those are the states where it's 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 coming not here yet. Then you've got, you know, Pennsylvania, which I think looks like an outlier in the sense that it's it's just medical right now, no adult use for the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind of smaller states that you know we won't get into much, like Rhode Island and 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 Delaware. Uh Delaware, I think, has submitted it. But anyway, Rhode Island has legalized. Uh and then I think you get to the, you know, the, the again, the smaller states that have that have adult use that's active, right? Your Virginia, sorry, your Vermont's your mains, you know, both have active adult use sales right now. Yep. New Hampshire is sort of an outlier in that respect in New England right now in terms of this limited medical market and uh, no no adult use immediately on the horizon. And then, you know, what I view as sort of like the game changers, which is the tri-state area. So New York, mm-hmm. New Jersey, Connecticut, and there there are sales ongoing in each of those states right now. Um, for adult use, which which I view as sort of like a huge turning point for the industry. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I guess like to tie it back to the my 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 personal narrative here, but uh, you know, I think New York is like an example of the changes you've seen happen in the industry and then the country writ large over the past, you know, call it eight years, which is that, you know, New York City right now, I mean, the entire city smells like weed. <laughs> I've heard much, that. Yes. Pretty much 24 seven. The entire city smells like weed. 
That's there funny. are like a massive amounts of completely unregulated uh, cannabis sales occurring, you know, in the open. There were crackdowns on the vans that were going around Manhattan. Oh, I hadn't heard about the vans. Yeah, there were vans. There were vans. There were like basically people also set up these like, you know, it looked like a hot dog stand, but it would sell weed. Oh, my gosh. Or like a, like, like the nut stands that they have. So it'd be like that except for, for weed. Wow. Innovative entrepreneurs out there. Well, I think what happened is people realized that, you know, there wasn't going to be, you know, once the bill passed, right? And the bill basically decriminalized it right off the bat and said, yes. you know, you're supposed to be able to smoke anywhere you can smoke cigarettes. But people sort of quickly realized that the NYPD basically was like, well, <laughs> all right, it's legal. Fine. And, you know, we're not going to get involved. <laughs> And now, you know, there's a huge number of unlicensed stores uh, operating in New York, in addition to the fact that, you know, the, all the sort of bodegas also now sell, you know, a range of products, like including, you know, Delta 8 type stuff, which is mm -hmm. illegal under New York state law, but it's effectively uh, unenforced. Yeah. So now the Office of Cannabis Management keeps saying that there's there's going to be a crackdown and everyone thinks this crackdown's coming. Because the success of the New York industry, I think, will 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 rely on it. But um, so that that's kind of the 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 background here. Yeah. Um, so you've got, um, and I think that that sort of like strength of the illicit market is similar to California, um, in terms of just it's just it is a longstanding, thriving illicit market, and you know the tie to California is also that you you know you can buy. California brands in New York. Okay. Um, pretty easily. Now that's technically not legal. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, has it been shipped from California or is it counterfeited? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, great question. Great, great concerns. Absolutely. We do not have interstate commerce capabilities yeah. yet. So yeah, that's a lot to think of. Oh man, both, I feel yeah. like we could I feel like we could go down such a rabbit hole talking about all all of this as well. I'll have to have you back on the show pretty soon so we can keep the conversation going. Uh we have run out of time, but <laughs> God, thank you so much for all this really valuable information. Um, we'll definitely have to follow up soon because there's just so much more to talk about and there's there's a lot of great knowledge that you have to share with our listeners. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.